We're reading 1 Timothy 6 because our passage in Colossians also touches on um, false teaching in the church and how Christ is the answer to the lies of the world. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be looking at the end of verse 2 all the way down to verse 16. Paul tells Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He was blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray to God as we come to hear his word again. Lord, it's good to be able to come into your presence to hear you speak to us through the word by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would now fill our cold hearts with a a love for Jesus Christ, a deep love for Jesus Christ. Fill our minds with the knowledge of who He is and what He's done. And Lord, we pray that You would fill our lives with a desire to obey and to serve to the end of our days. We pray that You would do all of this because You have chosen us, You have saved us, and You are bringing us safely to heaven where we will be exactly like Jesus. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 19. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 19. So we continue on in our series in Colossians. We've just finished one big section where Paul has been pointing the Colossians to what they have in Jesus Christ. And now in verses 16 and onward... He is confronting the false teaching that is affecting the church. So with that in mind, let's listen to these words starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So I looked at, the, uh, at this passage this week, I felt a little bit like I was back in Sunday school as a kid. You know, when uh, the teacher asks a question, 99% of the time the answer is Jesus. You know that's the right answer. And that's kind of how I felt as I went through this passage, because Paul, he's, he's describing these, these major threats to the Colossian church. And in both of the cases, he's got the same answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. These problems facing the church, these lies really, that people are telling them are answered in Jesus Christ. And not just Jesus in some shallow way, but actually Paul's going to show us that Jesus in his fullness, in the depths of who he is and what he's done for us, this is actually how we can challenge and defeat this false teaching. So the main idea of this passage is that the threat of false teaching is fully met by the fullness of Christ. Again, the threat of false teaching that's facing the church is fully met by the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say false teaching, that can mean many different things. But essentially, it's when someone believes and teaches something that is not biblical, that's not found in the Bible. We all know that's not just a problem in Paul's day or in this particular church. There are are plenty of people today, even many so-called pastors, who are teaching things that are not in the Bible. And as we look back at the Colossian church and the problems that were facing them, we see a similar pattern. People in that day, they were promoting all these lies, really. What they were doing is they were pushing Jesus Christ out of the center of the gospel. Another way of taking it is they were draining Jesus out of the gospel and they were pointing Christians to something or someone else for their salvation and life. And that is exactly what people today are doing as well. And Paul shows the Colossians and he shows us that what we need is the fullness of Jesus Christ. We're going to see two points this morning. First, we're going to see the law versus the law fulfilled in verses 16 to 17. And second, we're going to see a a spiritual life versus true growth in verses 18 to 19. Now, in all of these verses, Paul is applying everything he has just said about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's how he starts. Paul says, therefore, because of everything I just said, let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 16. In other words, remember everything I've just said. It's the foundation of everything I'm about to say in these next few verses. Remember, Paul has just told the Colossians about the unique identity and work of Jesus. He told the Colossians to hold fast to Christ and to resist false teaching because Jesus is fully God. Because in Christ, our sinful natures are changed. No one else can do that. And because we share in Christ's resurrection life and in his victory. Because of all of that, because of all all that is true, then let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon 
or a Sabbath. Now it looks like from what Paul says here that the people in Colossae were telling Christians there that they had to go back into the Old Testament, that they had to obey all those Old Testament laws. That's what the food and drink the festivals, the new moon, the Sabbath, that's what all that is pointing toward. Then the Old Testament, God gave His church many laws that they had to follow. For instance, what they had to eat and what they were not supposed to eat. Or when to worship. And when Paul talks about the festivals, think Passover. Or the new moons or the weekly Sabbaths, when they had to worship. And also how they had to worship. Remember all the laws for each one of those celebrations, for the sacrifices, everything like that. You can read a lot more about what Paul says here in places like Exodus and Leviticus in the Old Testament. But Paul's point here is that Christians in in the Colossian church were now being told that they had to live like believers in the Old Testament. And if they didn't, they were judged. Whoever was trying to make these people follow the Old Testament laws was actually condemning them if they didn't agree with them. And Paul says, don't let them do that. Do not let them judge you, and don't let them do that because of what you have in Jesus Christ. All of who He is and what He's done is yours. He points that out in verse 17. He says, these things, all these laws, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul's making an extremely important point here. And his point actually helps us to understand the entire Bible rightly. All those Old Testament laws, they they had their place, but they are just a shadow. A shadow of the things to come. That means everything in the Old Testament, all those laws, were meant to make Israelites look forward, to look toward the future. Those laws were pointing them to Christ. Paul says, The substance belongs to Christ. Let me just give you a simple example of how this is true. Think about the Passover in the Old Testament. It's one of those festivals that Paul talks about here. At the first Passover Passover in Egypt, God saved his people from death. Do you remember the story? How did he do it? Remember, he had them take a little lamb and to sacrifice that lamb and to take the blood and to put it on their door frames. And the angel of death, when he came to judge... He saw the blood of the lamb and he passed over that house. And every year after that, the Israelites were commanded to do a similar thing, to sacrifice that lamb as they looked back at the salvation that God had given them. But that blood on the doorpost and that lamb that they sacrificed every year, that was actually pointing them forward to Jesus Christ, the true lamb of God. Think about what John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb is Jesus Christ in his death for us on the cross. So the Passover, again, it's just one example. But all of these laws, all of these worship, everything is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, everything that he's done for us. Now, I find this really helpful. I don't know if you're like me. I remember trying to read through the Bible. Someone told me it was a good idea when I was a little kid, so I tried reading through the Bible. I got to Leviticus, and I gave up. It's just It was law after law after law, and I thought, what does this have to do with my life? It doesn't seem to have any connection to me. But a few years ago, I was reading Leviticus again. I couldn't put it down. 
It was such a different experience because I was reading the law now, seeing the grace of God and the promise of Christ. It was so clear to me as I looked through those laws again. I saw who all those laws were pointing to. There is such a gracious depth to the law. There's such a gracious depth to the Old Testament as it points us forward to Jesus. But we know now that because Christ has come, we don't need those shadows anymore, right? Those laws, are, they are still useful for us today. Right? We don't just throw out the Old Testament and that Jesus has come, no. Those laws are teaching us about our sin and our need for Jesus Christ and what Jesus has actually done for us. And they give us general principles also for how to live, but they are only shadows. Shadows. Think about shadows. Kids love playing with shadows, right? I mean, we go for a walk, you know, as the sun is setting, we get these great long shadows along the pathway. And it's lots of fun, I found. It's lots of fun to step on Daddy's shadow. They love jumping on it. But the children know that shadow is not actually Daddy, right? They know that. It kind of looks like me, right? But it's not me. And I'm so much more than just a dark spot on the ground, right? Not only do I have a body, I've got a personality. There's so much more to me than just what you see there. Paul's making a similar point here, right? The shadows of the Old Testament, they were good and useful, but we have the reality now. We have Christ, Christ who has fulfilled all those Old Testament laws. That's what he tells us in Matthew 5. And in fact, actually, the whole book of Hebrews feels like a commentary on this very set of verses that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. He is the greater priest. He is the true sacrifice, the temple that we need. We do not need to go back to the shadows of the Old Testament. That is why the Colossians do not need to let anyone judge them about obeying the Old Testament law. Now, some people have read verses 16 to 17, and they've reached what's I think is a wrong conclusion. They've, they've read Paul's words, especially about a Sabbath here being just a shadow, and they've concluded that we as New Testament believers don't have a Sabbath anymore. There's not a day that we are called to worship God. And practically, that would mean that Sunday isn't as important, right? It's more about the church service than dedicating the whole day to God. And really, it's, it's convenient, but it's not commanded. You may have heard something like that. I read even something about that this very week. But I would say that's, that's a misunderstanding. That's not what we should be getting away from this passage as we look at the shadows of the Old Testament. So we look at the Sabbath, for instance. Remember that that's how God created the world. He took one day out of seven as a day of rest. So we look at the New Testament. We see a similar pattern of the church meeting together and setting aside a day to worship God. I just mentioned the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the author points us forward to our eternal Sabbath rest. And he's telling us that we are resting now as we worship God in anticipation of heaven. And even more than in the Old Testament, even more than the Old Testament, we have even greater reason to spend one day out of seven worshiping God, dedicating the day to God because of what we have in Jesus Christ. We so clearly see our salvation and our lives have been so changed as we have come to Christ. Now, the basic point, though, is is the same. What Paul has been saying is that don't let anyone, don't let anyone tell you that you have to live in the Old Testament when you have the fullness of Christ. And you can see the problem. 
you can see the problem because all those Old Testament laws, they were full of Christ. They were pointing us to Christ. If you take Christ out of them and you point them back and say, you must live by these laws, that's slavery. That is spiritual slavery. That is works righteousness when you've taken Christ out of the Old Testament. So Paul says, don't go back there. You see it in Galatians as well. Don't go back there. Come forward to the fullness of Christ. But there's a second problem facing the Colossian church. That's what we see in verses 18 to 19. We see a promise of spiritual life versus true growth. As Paul moves on to see this second kind of false teaching, he writes, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. What Paul describes here is a completely different set of wrong ideas that are facing the Colossians. But it's interesting, there's a similar condemning spirit in both cases. Let no one disqualify you. Disqualify is a similar idea to judging, right? The false teachers in both cases are condemning the people who don't agree with them. And these particular false teachers are condemning people who are not uh, living according to the way they're saying or worshiping how they want you to worship. For instance, these false teachers are saying that there's a certain kind of way to live, and it's asceticism. I'm going to wager that asceticism is probably not a word that we use very frequently. You probably didn't use it this past week. You know, it's certainly not something I think about a lot. But Paul says this was a real danger in this time. Asceticism just simply means that you are living a a simple life. You're avoiding pleasures. You're avoiding good things. You're being very self-disciplined. If you think asceticism, think a monk. Think, you know, a monk from the past. It's interesting. The actual word here is humility. And we would say humility is good, right? God commands us to be humble. But these false teachers are pushing a, a false humility, a false lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that only looks humble. It looks humble as we see further in verse 21 because they're staying away from all these things. They're saying, we're we're not going to go there. We're just uh, going to stick to these particular things. But it's actually a false kind of humility because in reality, it's not pleasing God or keeping them away from sin. You can see that as Paul finishes in verse 23. So it's, it's a false lifestyle that they're promoting. And they're also telling the Colossians or they're urging the Colossians toward false worship. They're telling them that they need to worship angels. Think about what they've just done. They've replaced God with angels, but God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the only one who should be worshiped. You can see that throughout scripture, right, clear commands. Just think about the first and second commandment, right? First table of the law, you shall have no other gods before me. Can't get clearer than that. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Those are very clear commands. Those didn't just apply in the Old Testament, they apply now. But I'm fairly certain that if you ask the false teachers, they'd have an answer. They're very clever, right? They would have good arguments for why they are breaking God's clear commandments. Maybe they would say angels are powerful. Uh, We see in Scripture many cases where when people see an angel, they're scared and they're even tempted to fall down and worship. You can think about what John does at the end of Revelation as he sees that angel giving him 
the revelation. He falls down on his feet and the angel says, no, no, don't worship me, though it's tempting. So maybe they say, well, angels are powerful, so we should worship them. Or maybe they say, well, doesn't God sometimes feel a little distant? Maybe he's too powerful. Maybe he doesn't, doesn't, you know, he doesn't connect with you, he isn't listening to you. Maybe we need something else. We need something in between us and God, something to help us, someone else we can worship. You know, whatever reasons they came up with, whatever reasons they gave, they are not biblical. They are part of that philosophy and empty deceit that Paul warned against in verse 8. But these particular men were very believable, not just because they could argue very well, but also because they claimed that their ideas came from visions. Paul says that they were going on in detail about visions, about things they have seen. You know, the way, in other words, the way that they're getting their special knowledge about how to live and who to worship comes from visions. That's, that's really hard to argue with, right? If someone comes up to tell you that God has shown them something, um, or maybe in churches today it's more common to hear something like, God told me. That's really hard to argue against. Who am I to tell you what God did or did not say? And people use those visions or, or the voices that they think they've heard um, in very powerful ways. Personal experience is powerful, but it's also very exclusive. Think about what these false teachers could say. They, they could say, I had the vision, not you. I had that vision. And if it's exclusive, it also can be a way to get your own way. I had that vision. I heard that voice. And so I will tell you what you need to do. Similar to saying, I've got a wonderful plan for your life. But on an even greater scale. But these false teachers, as they're, as they're relying on their visions, they've missed out on God's wonderful provision for all believers. We have God's clear revelation right here in Scripture. God has given us His Word. He's given us the Bible, and He's given us Himself. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the Bible. Everything we need for life and godliness is right here. We don't need visions. We don't need voices. We have God speaking to us right now in Scripture. Now, Paul points out that at the very root of the problem for these false teachers is actually their sinful pride. He says they are puffed, out, puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. They're, they're, they're puffed up. They're proud. They're conceited because they have what Paul calls a sensuous mind. Literally, it's, it's the mind of the flesh. It's the mind of the flesh. And if you think about Paul, flesh is almost never good. It is sinful. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is showing that these men, their minds are still sinful. They are actually deep down opposed to God. They, they may go to church. They may call themselves Christians. But their actions are showing what's in their heart. And it's showing that at their core, they are still sinful and they are not following Christ. And you can see that problem worked out in how they teach because they've taken the gospel, they've completely twisted it. It's now their own message, not the message of God. It's based on their experience, not on scripture. And they are teaching, again, false worship and an empty lifestyle. There is no room in their message for Jesus, for his grace and for his salvation. And Paul says that's exactly the problem. They have separated themselves from Christ. Christ is not in their message because Christ is not in their lives. 
Look what Paul says in verse 19. He says, They are not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. These men, these men are not holding fast to Christ the head. So whatever they're teaching, however good it seems, whatever promises they make, whatever they are saying is never going to lead to true spiritual life. In verse 19, Paul uses this picture of a a body to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head and all of his believers together are his body. You can see uh, similar pictures in Ephesians. Think of Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 4, and also in 1 Corinthians 12. This is something that Paul comes back to many times, actually. Now, the point of Paul here, as he looks at us as the body and Christ as the head, is that all spiritual growth for all believers comes through one way, and one way only, Christ. Paul actually emphasizes the whole body grows through Christ. No exceptions, no special cases. Every true believer is going to grow. The only way he's going to grow is in union with Christ. Now, it's true, Christ uses means to cause that growth. That that seems to be what Paul is emphasizing when he writes that the body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. But Paul's main point here is that any growth and all growth comes through Christ. He says that this growth is ultimately given by God the Father. So the growth of the body, the growth of the church is a growth that is from God. It comes from God. God the Father is blessing the church through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now what's the point? Why is Paul pointing the Colossians back to being part of the body with Jesus Christ as the head? Well, he's saying two things, right? If you are not connected to Jesus Christ by faith, if you're not saved, in other words, then you will experience no spiritual growth whatsoever. You won't. You can't. But if you are, if you are connected to Christ, then you will. Think about Paul's picture of a body, for instance. Think about what the false teachers are essentially saying. They're saying, take, take a finger from your body and cut it off. Okay? And then do all the things that, we'll, that we're telling you to do. We've got this special oil. Uh, you put it out in the sun for a couple of hours. We've got a whole plan for that finger that you've just cut off. Um, that finger, this is what they promised, that finger is going to be strong. It's going to be healthy. Okay, would you do that with your actual finger? If you did that, even the youngest child in the room would be able to tell us, there is no way that finger is going to be stronger or healthier. It's going to die. And that is what's true if you follow the false teachers. If you're not united to Christ, if you're off by yourself, then all that's waiting for you is death. All that's waiting for you is death, spiritual and physical death. There is no salvation apart from Christ. And there is certainly no hope of becoming more like Christ apart from Him. But remember, that picture also shows us the flip side, that if you are in Christ, if you do believe in Jesus, if the Holy Spirit has joined you to Christ by faith, if you are holding fast to Jesus, well, then you don't need any kind of special formulas. You don't need visions. You don't need voices. You don't need exciting experiences in order to grow in your faith and holiness. You need and have Christ. Again, if we're, if we're honest... 
Sometimes Christ and what he gives us doesn't always seem like it's enough, right? We might not say that. We're usually good enough not to say that out loud. Um, But we can feel that way, that maybe Christ isn't enough for us when when we're tempted to try something else rather than reading the Bible or praying just day in and day out. Those are daily provisions of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we feel like Christ isn't enough when we have that passing thought of, boy, that other church just sounds much more exciting. Maybe, Maybe I'd do better over there. Sometimes we have that thought that maybe Christ isn't enough. When we find out that fighting sin in our lives or having deep fellowship with one another is really hard. Is Christ really enough right now? But if we have Christ, we really do have everything that we need. We have salvation. We have salvation from all of our sins. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, perfect righteousness that we couldn't get for ourselves. We now have a freedom and a fullness in our relationship with God and with one another. We have so many spiritual and physical blessings that we'll never be able to count them. Think about what we have. We have a peace that passes understanding. We have a joy in all circumstances. We have a hope that never disappoints. And we have Christ's own presence and the power of the Holy Spirit every step of the way. We have so much when we have Christ. And when we begin to understand what we have in Christ, we can see even more clearly how empty false teaching really is. You know, with these two groups of false teachers in the Colossian church, what they were teaching was a Christless religion, right? The law or personal experience had pushed Christ out of the gospel. And we might not experience that exact same kind of false teaching today, but there are enough lies to believe about how you should live and what you should worship around today. And each one of them has pushed Christ out. And I'm sure if Paul were alive today and he turned on the TV, or if he watched enough YouTube, or he just talked to people about what they believe, when they promote a false gospel, when they promote some sort of empty religion, Paul's solution would be the exact same in each case. As we see here, what we need is more of Christ. We need the full Christ, and the better we know Christ, and the closer we walk with him, the better equipped we are to resist false teaching, and the more we will grow in grace. As we close, what what can we take away from this passage? We could focus on false teaching. We could describe all the false teaching around us, but I don't think that's what Paul is calling us to. He's pointing us back to Christ. He's pointing to the fullness we have in Christ. So one of the things that we can do as we walk away from this passage is pray that God would give us a desire to know Christ better, a desire to be in communion with Christ by reading his word and praying, a desire to be, have more worship, more teaching, more love. And as you pray that for yourself, also pray it for everyone else in this congregation. Pray that we would desire to know Christ. Also pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see the riches of Christ and that he would help us to hold tightly to Christ in all circumstances. And finally, pray for our maturity in Christ. Pray for us to grow up in Christ, not just as an individual, but as a church, so that we are able to resist false teaching and to follow Christ, who is the only way, truth, and life. This passage is pointing us to
to Jesus Christ. And Paul is pushing us to give thanks for what we have in Jesus Christ and to pray to know Christ better and to serve him better together. Amen. Let's pray now. Lord, we do want to know Christ better. He is our Savior. He is our head. He is how we will grow. He is our righteousness. He is our hope of heaven. He is everything to us. Lord, we pray that we would hold fast to Jesus Christ. There are so many false gospels and really empty religions around us. Lord, we pray that we would hold fast to Jesus Christ in faith. And Lord, more than that, that he would hold fast to us. And Lord, we would pray that as we meet people around us who are without hope in the world or who are holding on to something that is false, Lord, give us boldness in the words to speak, to even look at this passage and to show them how great Jesus Christ and his salvation for us truly is. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in prayer for each other as well, that we would know Christ, see Christ, and serve him together. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.